Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. The thing that's been on my heart and on my mind as I've been spending time with the Lord praying for these weeks is, and I actually didn't even know, I didn't even know that the church was going to be going through a series on this wonderful life. What a, it's a wonderful life. It, I, man, I hope you guys have been listening to these messages. These messages are on fire. Dr. Matt, Colin Higginbottom, oh my goodness, where's Alice Claude? These messages have been unbelievable. Um, and so cool, the thing that's been on my heart is as I've been walking through the last several weeks on this tour is just thinking like, man, why is it? Why is it that we spend so much time, we, we can be the son or daughter of the Most High King and we spend so much time worrying. And we spend so much time like intention and concerned about things that we don't even have control over. And there was this, this uh, research study that came out. This is something I touched on um, last week when I was, when I was sharing it at the campus. I just touched on this research study that came out at Stanford about two years ago. It's probably the best data we have when it comes to uh, cognitive habits. Have you guys ever like ever heard any data on like how many how many thoughts does the average person have in a day? Okay, I'm not going to use that illustration more because you all know the answer. <laughs> the the it, the punch is way stronger when you say like a hundred, you know, but the front row knew it. If the, if the people in the back didn't hear it, it's sixty thousand thoughts a day. That's bigger than I would have guessed. If you had asked me, I would have guessed like thousands, but it would have been like five thousand. 60,000 thoughts a day on average. His data, his data concluded that roughly 92% of that 60,000, so what is that, like 54,000 thoughts out of your 60,000 are totally automatic. They're habit, which means it's the same thought that you had the day before and the day before that and the day before that. You're actually not engaged in what you're thinking, but that thought is coloring how you view your world, how you view yourself, what, what is tomorrow hold for you. It's coloring all those things and it's habituated. It's what we call habitual. And they have this term in therapy that we use a lot, like automatic negative thinking. You guys heard that term before? You know what I've never heard of? I've never heard anybody do research on automatic joyful thinking. Where is that research? There's, if there's a really good book called The Bible that is all about automatic joyful thinking. And so the, the message today is called habitual joy. How do we make how do we make joyful thinking a habit? How do we break this habit that the world wants to install that we have to look around and see danger everywhere? One of the most, um, how can I phrase it? One of the most confusing things about anxiety, as an example, is we tend to think of the, we tend to look at the symptom of anxiety and think that's the problem. Which you guys know where you got that idea? You got that idea. You got that way of thinking about anxiety from what we call the disease model or the medical model. My field, which is increasingly something that frustrates me, the field of mental health, is based on what we call the medical model. So it, it looks for pathology, just like a doctor would. You come into a doctor's office and you say, I don't feel good. The doctor is going to look for disease. My field does the same thing. That's how we're trained to think. 
And so one of the, the really confusing parts about that is we think that people have anxiety disorders. Like, like you have, a, that's the same as saying like, I have a sneezing disorder. Like if you get a cold, I have a sore throat disorder. No, no, you don't have a, a sneezing disorder, you have a cold. You have a lack of hydration and proper sleep disorder. That's the disorder you have. But when we say we have an anxiety disorder, we take the symptom and we apply it to our being. We apply it to who we are and say, oh, I'm just somebody who suffers from a lot of anxiety. Right now, I think this actually, the stat was actually last year. Last year, pharmaceutical treatment of anxiety exceeded $42 billion, which means we have this epidemic of people living with the symptom of anxiety, being told there's no hope for that symptom, but I can, I can make it go away. I can numb it. I can mute it for you. And then we get caught up in the same lie that the way you solve problems is by ignoring them. And what is that? That's a perfect formula for what? Anxiety. That's a really great way. In fact, there was a, uh, I can't, I don't know what, what order the slides are in, so forgive me. But there was, there was this thing that I saw for the very first time like two and a half years ago when we were in the throes of like the, the height of the panic, the height of the scam, the height of the, uh, sorry, the height of the COVID thing, whatever, however you want to see it, however you want to see it. There was this thing that surfaced for a long time. Actually, before I saw it on my phone for myself, before I ever saw it for myself, my uh, family member called me and said, Brian, there's this really cool new feature on your phone called COVID notifications. And what you can do is you can sign up for these notifications. And, and if you have COVID, you, you tell Apple, I'm an infectious disease. I'm something that's dangerous. And then Apple will know. And other people do the same thing. And if we all do this, then when you're standing, this is my family member explaining to me, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, if there's somebody else who tested positive, it'll alert you. I think if I was going to design an app to give you an anxiety disorder, if you came to me and said, Brian, here's a bunch of money. I want you to design an app. I want you to engineer an anxiety disorder. I would probably check with you. I'd be like, do you want an app that fixes anxiety? No, 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 no. I want to take somebody with no anxiety problems whatsoever, and I want to give them anxiety. I say, okay, the best way, best way I would know to do that is install an app that intrudes into their day, that anytime they're like having coffee with a friend or they're, they're, they're in the zone at work or they're having a nice like worship session in the car on the way to work, I want just this, these alerts that are intruding, that are alerting them to danger, preferably danger that they can't see, danger that's invisible. And optimally, it'd be danger that you can do nothing about, nothing but like basically retreat into your home and lock the door. I think, man, and this is considered like a social gift. This is, the, this is one of the rare times you're going to hear me downplay the Apple ecosystem. I actually kind of love it. But this one, you let me down, Apple. I'm, I can't go. And here's the reality. If somebody has, if there's somebody who has an anxiety disorder, it's our culture. And our culture wants to give that to you because danger is basically like, if you listen to the right sources, danger is everywhere you look. There's always somebody like, the economy is unstable, or they're telling you that the virus is mutating, or they're telling you that the rich people are lying to you, or they're telling you the white man's holding you down, or they're telling you, like, here's three signs that you're disciplining your kids too much, or here's three signs that you're not disciplining your kids enough. You know, here's five signs you're married to a narcissist. No, here's 10 signs that you're a narcissist, right? Like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. 
And the challenge of that is that when that culture infiltrates the church, we end up looking just like the world. I think, man, I was preparing for this. I had this like feeling. I was like, I bet you the number one commandment that we are most comfortable ignoring is the command to rejoice, the command to have joy. I, w- I just did a really quick search. This took me like, like 90 seconds. And I was like, okay, how many times does the Bible command us, mandate us to have joy? And I found more than 27 in one page of searching. I have no idea how many in the Bible, but Psalm again and again says, let Israel be glad. Let the children of Zion rejoice. Let Jacob rejoice. Your Jacob, by the way, if you, didn't, if you haven't read the Bible. Let Israel rejoice. Serve the Lord with gladness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy. Let the nations be glad. Sing for joy. Rejoice and be glad. Leap for joy. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice with me, Luke says. Rejoice in hope, Luke says. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice always. Be glad and rejoice. Again and again and again. And this is probably 5 or 10%. And yet... Because it's told to us all the time, anxiety and and resentment, depressive symptoms. Don't get me started on depression. Depression is not something you are. I am depressed is is a categorical error. That is not, that sentence doesn't make any sense at all, but that'll be another day. I'll come back. Is that was, it's because it's normalized around us. It's something that, that we accept as normal, but we have access we have access to the source of joy. And so I want to cover, like when I was was thinking about this, what what are the the, probably the three main areas that rob us of that joy? And we actually, we develop a habit of anxiety. We develop a habit of victim, a habit of resentment. First one that came up for me when I was thinking about is, is, is the ability to access peace about our future. The ability to trust God with the future. Our culture, like I said before, our culture, I would consider has anxiety, has any, has a, has a kind of anxiety or disorder. And the reason that feels um, worth naming, worth like taking a second just to name that that, re- that reality exists, is because when we experience anxiety, just like I said before, when we experience anxiety, we confuse anxiety as the problem. But Anxiety is a natural nervous system response to a threat. And so if, let's say, let's say you've got like some unacknowledged sin in your life. Let's say, let's say there's something hidden in your life and, and you're like living with this anxiety. You're having trouble sleeping at night and you, you like, you're avoiding intimate one-on-one conversations where you might get asked certain questions. And then, and you notice, and then you like log on to Instagram and somebody's talking about anxiety disorders. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. When I need is this app or this medication. He said, no, 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 that anxiety is healthy. That anxiety is your nervous system doing what God designed it to do, letting you know, whoa, we're living in isolation. We are on the other side of the wall. There's freedom available to us that we're not accessing. That's a good thing. It's when there's no overt alarm. There's no threat that we can identify. And yet we can't, we can't get the alarm system to get out of the on position. It's like stuck there. There's this really powerful verse in Luke 21, 34 and 36. It says, be careful 
or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will come on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. And that is, there's some really powerful permission in that verse. What Luke is saying is don't be surprised when life drags your attention away from hope because you're living in the chaos of the world. You're living in the chaos of other people's anxieties and other people's fears, your uncertainty, right? That's normal. See, don't be surprised. We have to wake up. We have to remember that our thoughts are going to be impacted. Our thoughts are gonna be dragged away. We need a habit of saying, where am I right now? Is my attention, is my attention on the certainty of God's sovereignty or on the uncertainty of the world? Where is my attention? That peace about our future is not about circumstances. Peace about our future is about God's sovereignty. And so when we have these habits, when we have this habitual kind of anxiety, this habitual tension that we're living in, and we don't know how to shake it off, we need a tool. Today, at the end of this, I'm gonna share with you a very concrete tool, probably the, the most powerful tool that I've identified working as a counselor something I've adapted. It's a tool that I, I took from cognitive behavioral therapy and I adapted like, how do we bring our thought life into alignment with the love and the truth of God? But it's a really concrete, it's something you can do alone, but it's something you have to do. It's not something that you can intend to do. That will, that will produce no effect. It's not something you can learn about. Learning about it will produce no positive effect. It's something you have to take into your daily discipleship, into your daily growth. Does that make sense? Are you with me? The other thing you want to remember, why is it so important to go back to, to Luke's words where he says, don't forget, be mindful, wake up and realize that the world is going, this is normal. It's going to try and drag you away. It's because invisible, I'm sorry, automatic thinking is invisible thinking. Automatic thought processes are normalized to us. Therefore, by definition, they don't alert us to anything. In fact, it's your brain working really hard. 92% of the things that you come, 92% of the thoughts that you have in a day are your brain doing automatic coding based on how I've been thinking for the last 10 or 20 or 30 years. And so the thing that's helpful about understanding that is to realize, oh, those thoughts, the, the, the moment when I walk in the door and my wife seems quiet and my brain goes, oh, what's wrong now? Or I walk into the office and somebody looks like they're in a bad mood and my brain automatically thinks, oh, what did I do? Like those thoughts are going to be invisible to me. And so what we need is we need a different dashboard light. We need something else to alert us. And the thing God gave us is our emotional system that we need to remember. We need to go back to Luke and say, okay, anxiety is not my inheritance. So if I'm living with anxiety, I'm living outside of God's inheritance for me. So we set a reminder for ourselves every single day, I'm gonna check in with my own heart, that anxiety, panic, frustration, irritation, anger that I don't know what to do with, those all need to be dashboard lights to us. They wake us up and they say, okay, where's my thought life right now? Where is my attention? Where is my expectation? Because there's gonna be a lot of facts the world is gonna inundate you with facts that, that tell you safety is not something that you can feel safely. It isn't safe 
to feel safe. Like I was saying, like the economy is unstable. The world's gonna tell you all kinds of facts, truthful facts, facts that are accurate about recessions and economic inequity and all of these things. But if we let ourselves get dragged away by that and we don't say, oh man, I can, just you, just hearing my friend talk about buy a house, I know this anxiety in my chest. Why am I feeling that anxiety? Oh, it's because I bought into this lie that millennials can't buy houses or I bought into this lie that the economy is stacked against me and there's no hope. And then you get a story like my boy Mark, who 10 years ago, this is is something Mark told me just a couple days, 10 years ago, he owned a backpack and a skateboard and he couldn't afford to buy cigarettes, a cigarette, an individual cigarette from his drug dealer. Last year, in 2021, in the height of the COVID housing craze, Mark and his beautiful wife, Kimmy, bought their first home. In the height of what the economy would have said, nope, you've been disqualified. This is only for the super rich. This is for other people. In the height of that moment, my God has the cattle on a thousand hills. My God says that his people flourish in season and out of season. And we're gonna be powerless if we don't start by waking up. That anxiety is is an alarm system we don't want to ignore because it's not our inheritance. Second, second major area that we can notice ourselves getting dragged away is through this kind of yearning for acceptance from other people. And it's so important to remember that it is not wrong to want to feel a need for acceptance. That is in our DNA. God does not exist outside of relationship. Before he created the heavens and the earth, before he created humans, God existed in loving relationship with himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in loving relationship. We are designed for belonging. The problem is we walk into a room, we walk into the room, instead of taking our belonging with us into that room, the belonging that we feel at home, the belonging that we feel with God, and walking into that room with a sense of belonging, we look for it in there. Think hopefully that's when I'll know I'm enough if I can find it in there. There was a there was a hard moment for me. It was a great moment, but a hard moment for me when Dr. Matt started asking me to share. I had shared at lots of places. I didn't understand why this was so stressful to me, but he, he brought me in. He, he like it was like a cell group, like a growth group, and then I think there was a home group. And then he said, "Man, would you come and do an interview?" And then we were together, so that was a little bit of like safe territory. And he said, man, would you just, would you teach on a Sunday? And my head was like, no, no, I won't do that. <laughs> because you know, I, I, I had to really process this. Every step I took where he would invite me and he would share influence with me and he would, he would honor my voice and it went well, instead of feeling more confident, I felt more trapped because it's like, okay, that went good. Let's quit while we're ahead. I'm retiring. <laughs> from teaching. And it was one of those moments where you realize, oh, I am asking these these opportunities, these growth moments, I'm asking them to do something for me they can't offer me. Instead Instead of building my confidence, I'm asking them to reassure me of my worthiness, which is a trap. And there's a there's a really powerful moment in 1 Corinthians where Paul teaches us about this, he says, when people say that bad things about us, when, we try, when they try to say something, and we try to say something that will help, but people still treat us like the world's garbage, everyone's trash. 
I am not trying to make you feel ashamed. I'm not sure how, if I'm on the same translation, but I am not trying to make you feel ashamed, but I'm writing this to counsel you as my own dear children. You may have 10,000 teachers in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. Through the good news, and this is really good news, I have become your father in Christ Jesus. And what, what Paul is teaching us, is says, when you notice yourself getting pulled out of your center, getting pulled out of your, the identity of being an adopted son or daughter of God, when you notice yourself allowing other people's opinions and other people's thoughts, other people's words of you to pull you out of that identity, he said, what you realize is it's not, it's not an uh, approval issue. It's a father issue. He's saying, by the grace of God, I have become your father. He's saying, look to me. And it's painful. That is a hard verse to take in because I know a lot of people in this room can think, well, man, what if I didn't have that father? What if my father wasn't around? Or what if he was around and worse, he didn't speak life over me. He spoke curses over me. And what if every time I think about my dad or I think about you know, struggling and not being confident in my workplace, not being confident in my family or in this ministry, I go back to man. It's because I didn't get that thing that I needed. I'm limited now because I didn't get that thing that I needed back then. And I think Paul wants you to know, A, that pain is valid. You didn't get something that you deserved. That's true. It's okay to hurt. It's even okay to be angry over that. Say, that was not God's plan for my life. Curses from the mouth of my father were not God's plan for my life. And he wants you to know God is offering you a new father. He is here to father you right now. Last week, I don't know if you guys were here last week, Dr. Matt preached this ridiculous message called Resilient. And he talks about, he talks about how to bring alignment and the power of alignment Phenomenal message. And it was this thing I was reflecting on. I was like, man, I could so, if I didn't know Dr. Matt, if I was just like listening to this, I was just scrolling through YouTube and he popped up, it would be so easy to listen to this message and think, man, that's a good word. I love that. And just move on. But just because I know who he is, because he's somebody who has built businesses. He has developed teams and people. He has, he has been coached and he's been coaching for decades. I listened to that message. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like an insider view. This is like, I am hearing the kind of conversations that happen inside of like $30,000 think tanks inside of like, you know, private $100,000, you know, um, mastermind groups, because that's what he does. And it was this moment where I thought, oh my gosh, God is fathering me all the time. I don't need Dr. Matt to send me a text, hey man, that was an amazing word. Are those moments special to me? Of course they are because I respect who he is. All I have to do is show up on Sunday morning and listen and I am, I am getting access to the kind of covering because what is true about one man is true about another. What God promises, the goodness, the provision, the protection, the dignity that he gives to one man, he gives to you too. And so to train yourself to say, I'm not just gonna listen to say, oh, is this, is this message stimulating? Does it feel good to hear it? Does it sound inspiring? No, 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 no. I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna put on the cloak of sonship and I am gonna hear this 
as a message directly to my heart. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'll play my messages on like um, YouTube or something and I'll skip way to the end. So you can hear it like 90 seconds of my voice because right after the message, Pastor Jurgen's voice comes on and says, wow, what an incredible message. I'm not going to lie. I love it because one of the things that God has been teaching me about what it means to be fathered is that I don't need some, I don't need Pastor Jurgen to be standing next to me on a stage referring to me because he wouldn't have said it if it wasn't true. I can actually receive that recording and I can just take that in as God speaking to me about my identity, about the parts of me that, are, that feel too good to take ownership of, the inheritance that's too good to be true, right? We, he has given us these moments all the time. And we need to tune our ear. We need to train our ear to hear them and to notice them. That the heart that is seeking approval is a heart that is seeking a father. The last area that came up for me when I was thinking about this was achievement. And it's interesting, I, one of the things I did is I, I looked up, like, what are the most pervasive forms of anxiety in U.S. culture today? And, and the two things that came up were keeping up with the Joneses. So, right, like putting up, putting up a facade or an impression of wealth. And what they called achievement motivation, which is interesting. It's a term that refers to something very specific. It, it refers to why I am motivated to achieve. Achievement motivation refers to what is my motivation to achieve. And that has been such an area of healing in my life since I discovered Awaken Church. Because I, I could not have named this before I came into this house. But the reality is, I have been exposed to forms of church that actually very much reflect my mental health field. So it sounded very familiar. What, basically, what, what I got exposed to was, you know what, if... if um, God isn't doing something in your life. If it doesn't look like somebody else, if, you're, if, if you don't see like massive growth, if you're, not, if you're not expanding dominion, if you're not expanding influence, don't worry about it. Just accept, just accept what God gives you. Which, if I'm overrun with anxiety, if I'm overrun with a feeling of like somehow being behind in life, then that's a really good starting place. A really good starting place is to accept what is true right now and to find God's love in that. And I grew up in churches where they stopped right there. And mental health has basically done this really odd swing in like the last 50 years. So like 100 years ago, if you had gone to see a therapist, I was just like roughly 100 years ago that, that therapists began to become mass trained and, and they were like infiltrating, became more normal in society. 100 years ago, if you got to see a therapist, they would have had what, is, what we call a directive posture, meaning you sit down, Maybe you don't even get to face them. That was a thing. You sit down in their office, you tell them their problems, and then you shut up, and they tell you the solutions. They tell you, this is what you need to, you're thinking about it wrong, you need to think about it this way. And oddly enough, that wasn't super helpful. That it don't. It just led to them coming up with a whole bunch of more diagnoses, right? Because when my telling you what to do differently didn't fix you, it must be because you have some sort of diagnosis that I haven't named yet. That's the problem here. Well, like 50 years ago, and I, a guy named Carl Rogers came along, and he gave something really, really powerful to mental health. He talked about the power of empathy. 
and the power of entering into another person's experience. It's what, it's what the Bible refers to as like a co-burdening. We carry something together. And then this amazing idea started to infiltrate mental health, and it was a really good thing. And then in the last maybe 20, 30 years, as university kind of safety culture has taken over, mental health has swung into empathy only. And now what started off as all truth with no grace has become a formula of all grace with no truth. And it endorses and it promotes the stuckness. And it says, the way you get better is you just accept your reality. One of the things I've learned working with couples is if I'm working with a couple, I don't send an individual of that couple to another therapist unless I know that that therapist is specially trained in couples work. Because what I noticed after doing this for a couple of years, just like sending them to other therapists that I know are great therapists, individual therapists, is that like we work and like a couple weeks go by, a couple months go by and they're still angry. A couple months go by and there's still like, there's still rigidity around this, this issue or they can't be flexible or there's no hope. And I'm like checking in with them and say, okay, I want you to come in. I want to talk to you one-on-one. Tell me the work you're doing with this other therapist. And they'll say, well, you know, I go in and, and she helped me understand that I'm married to a narcissist and he's emotionally abusive and all of these things. You're like, so just, just so I'm clear, um, how did you guys conclude that you're married to a narcissist? Because I've met your husband. Um, I didn't see that. And they said, well, all he, ever do, all he ever does is get defensive and invalidate me. I said, okay, that's not helpful. Um, did your therapist ask you what you say before he defends himself? Did they ask that question? No, they didn't ask that question. They just said, that's gaslighting and he shouldn't do that. You're like, okay. Are they both... Right. That is right. That is not a helpful behavior and completely wrong. We do not get to outsource all the pathology in this system to the other side. And it's this, it's this, uh, it's this toxic swing, all empathy and no guidance, all grace and no truth. And the, the reality is what we know is that it's actually really good to be corrected. Amen. Right. That's a safe thing that when we get, into ambition and into achievement before we have a formed identity, that it's a trap. That achievement without sonship equals idolatry. Achievement without knowing who I am becomes my identity. And just the opposite is actually not good either. Sonship without achievement is selfish faith. And that's the thing, I could not have been, I would have said, no, you can't tell me that I need to dream bigger. You can't tell me that God has something. You don't know that God has that for me. What are you talking about? Back up. And it wasn't until I got around people, like the Hubbards and the Matisses, is that you're like, oh man, there's this radical, this radical acceptance of God's love. There's this radical humility and this stupid expectation that God is gonna do amazing things with my life. This ridiculous, like I, you can't quantify it. And it took me time. It took me time for that to feel safe because I had been so conditioned. Nope, don't put anything on me. And what I didn't realize, what I couldn't have named is that I have been taught a very self-centered Christianity. A Christianity that says, think small and accept it because that doesn't, that doesn't leave me feeling insufficient. It doesn't challenge any of those, any of those fears. Is that, is, is that okay? Are y'all with me? Because I'm like, amen, Brian, that's a good word. 
Okay. Proverbs 6, 6, and 8 is a a pretty powerful, it's a pretty powerful proverb when it comes to, man, what does it look like to build a habit of joy? I I wouldn't have applied it this way before the last several weeks since I've been been doing this work. Proverbs 6, 6, and 8 says, go to the ant. Another another verse says, consider the ant. And then he gets a little rude. He says, you sluggard. Because Solomon was a straightforward kind of guy. Consider its ways and be wise. So there's something about the way that the ant does things that is wise. It says it has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, and yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And there's this moment I had in my office, uh, at this point, it was several weeks ago, and my office is built on probably the largest deposit of plaque ants in like North America. It's like a lot of, there's a lot of ants. We've, we've had to really fine tune how to keep them, the invasions out of, out of our little suite. And there was a moment where I've gotten used to it. There's always a little scout, what they call forager ants. There's always a little scout here and there. It doesn't even bother me anymore. And I remember I had just read this. I had just read this verse and I saw this, this black ant walking across my desk. And I had this realization, you know what's really interesting about that ant? is that ant 100% expects to get its needs met. There's no part of that ant's behavior that is worried about the future. I heard one guy, Jim Rohn says, all summer long, ants are thinking winter. All summer long, they're saying, you know what? It's time to go gather. It's time to prepare because winter is coming and winter is a safe thing. And then that, that made me reflect, you know what that also means? All winter long. Ants are thinking summer. That every single ant in that colony is in perfect alignment with the colony. And it was really interesting. This this just like spiked my interest. And so I looked it up. And I'm not sure, what are the people that that study ants? What is that that person called? Botanist is plants. Entomologist. That seems too obvious. That can't be right. I read this article. I read this article by an entomologist. And it was really interesting. They said, ant colonies actually think exactly the same way that a human brain thinks. Each neuron in your brain has very limited computational power. It can only react to the neurons that it's directly connected to. Ants individually can change jobs at the drop of a hat. And all they ever have to do is come into contact with the few ants around them and knowledge spreads throughout the colony. So if their territory grows, that knowledge actually spreads to the whole colony. The colony doesn't have to visit the territory that just got bigger. And the realization was like, God making this so real, like, man, our peace comes when we train every stray thought to trust that, you know, if it's summer, it's okay, winter is coming. If it's winter, it's okay, summer is coming. If I don't find food, somebody else is gonna find food. If, if God's provision doesn't come today, man, I wonder what's coming tomorrow. And it started to make me reflect, man, like that's why, that's why these men that I get to be around, that's why they're so powerful. It's not because they've got all of these exclusive opportunities that I don't have. It's that they are always expecting opportunity. So no matter where God brings it, no matter what it shows up like, they see opportunity where my old, my conditioning, what is it? Uh, that's for somebody else. I want to show you this, uh, 
this tool. And I don't want, I don't want you to get distracted by it because this tool is not, it's not the answer to your problems, but it's a powerful tool for retraining our brain. Do we have that? So I call this thought alignment. As you can see, there's these five categories. And this is something I use in my own life. In fact, honey, can you, let me see that notebook real fast. This is something I've done for the better part of 10 years. This is the page in my notebook where I've got my own thought alignment. And whenever I notice anxiety, whenever I notice insecurity popping up, I pull out my notebook and I'm gonna write down five things. The first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna write what down, what is happening? What is happening? So an example of mine was uh, several weeks ago, I was sitting at a table with these amazing leaders and I mentioned that I was gonna go on tour. And one of the leaders at the table said, again? And the thing, it was so weird, without making any decisions, the thing that went through my, my mind was anxiety. And then I noticed it. I've been doing this work for a long time. So I said, okay, I'm gonna come back to that. I'm gonna be curious about that. And then I, I enjoyed the rest of the meal and I got home and I was reflecting like, what was that? So we're sitting, we're talking about me speaking, which is vulnerable. And another leader that I really respect made a comment again. And what happened, so initial response, what we're gonna write down is situation, and then initial response is, ooh, I felt anxiety in my chest. That's the response. Negative, automatic thought would be, oh, they think I'm not good enough. They said, again, because they were surprised that Awaken would want me to come back. They, were they don't think I'm worthy of that. That was the automatic thought. I did not see that thought. I did not consciously process that thought, but somehow my brain coded that data. What is the aligned truth? How do I bring that moment under God's love? You know, what's much more realistic is that they heard that and they thought, oh, that's rare. Oh, maybe the leadership doesn't do that very often. That speaks really highly. That means they must really value your voice. God is using me and I had to separate myself. Say, oh man, if, if, if God uses me on this platform, it has nothing to do with me. It is God. That is, that is freedom because if, if I let myself enjoy, oh, look what you did, Brian. The other night I got, to, I got to be part of the recovery group and I heard this woman giving a testimony. She said one of the turning points in her story was listening to a message of mine called Week of the New Strong. And in that moment, it's like, oh my gosh, there's almost like this overwhelming feeling like, man, God would use me to create life-changing hope in a person's life. And I've got to frame it that way because if I say, look what you did, I just set myself up for a trap. So I align that thought. I think, man, that that's not common, that God is doing something amazing. And then I'm going to focus on that new thought because this is where the change happens. I'm going to focus on that new thought and I'm going to let myself register. What do I feel as I focus myself on truth? When I focus like, man, God is doing something really incredible. God is blessing me. People believe in me. When I focus on that thought, man, the anxiety goes from like a seven and it goes down to like a four. And oh, I start to feel excitement. I start to feel hope. I start to feel like, oh man, what's gonna, I wonder what's gonna happen. I wonder who's gonna be in the room next time God uses me. And I'm gonna focus on the emotional response because in our emotion, neurotransmitters get rewired. One of the confusing things about pain is that what we cannot feel we cannot heal. 
And so we spend all of this time trying to avoid pain, trying to medicate it, numb it, and avoid it, when the reality is God designed your brain. He wants that pain to come to the surface because when that neurostructure actually gets activated electrically, it becomes neuroplastic. And so when we are avoiding that pain and we sit in church and somebody gives us a message that speaks right to that fear, and we say, okay, that's better, I'm gonna believe that. Yes, in Jesus' name, I'm gonna believe that. And we, we try and avoid the pain. We try and stay as far back from as we can. We're actually preserving the belief in our heart. We wanna lean in, we wanna let that pain be understood. And then we want to redirect because neurons that fire together, what? Wire together. And the more I have insecurity come up and I, I remind myself, what is God's truth? God, God is, he has a vision for my life. He has a plan. Every good thing comes from him. So if, if God does something amazing through my life, it is God working through my life and there's no pressure. There is no weight. I can't fail. It is God working through my life. Every time I redirect my attention, that becomes my habit and joy becomes habitual. Does that make sense? I also, like I said, I don't want us to confuse a really powerful practice with the core need. And the core need is, is we're reflecting on this and you're listening to these forms of anxiety and these forms of habituated thinking. You're like, oh man, I can relate to that. The core need is always the cross. The core need is to bring that pain to the hands of Jesus and to actually experience his love and his provision. So I don't want to offer you a powerful tool at the cost of your personal response to Christ. And I just wanna ask, if you're sitting there as we're talking about the, the, the pain that's attached to not feeling acceptance, the pain that's attached to not feeling like I've achieved enough, the pain that might be attached, what your future might look like, if you can relate to those things, I wanna ask you to do something courageous because activation creates the conditions for transformation. I want you to just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. That's awesome. I see all hands up all over the room. I just want to invite you by raising your hand, your brain just registered hope. By raising your hand, you took an act that says, this anxiety does not have control. It does not have the last word over my life. So I want to pray for you and I just want you to know, man, the ministry team is here because they specialize in breaking strongholds. They specialize in setting people into new neural pathways. They specialize in meeting you right there to convert that pain into freedom. Amen. Lord, I pray for every hand that just got raised. I pray for every heart in this room. Lord, I pray and I, I thank you. I give you glory that you are rooting out fear, that you are setting people free right now, that every hand that just went up represents the hand of a heart that is being rewired to joy. Lord, I, I loose the pain of anxiety over their life. Where there is agreement with fear, we break agreement in Jesus' name. We ask your Holy Spirit to do what, your, what only the Holy Spirit can do, to break the power of that fear over life so that we can do the work that we need to do, which is the work of discipleship. Lord, I thank you for the lives that are getting changed right now. It is in your Son's name. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. 
For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.